Hello, I'm Glyn Fussell and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. In this podcast, I get to know creative misfits, underdogs, wild rebels and those people who have stuck one giant middle finger up to society and live life on their terms. I can't wait to introduce you to some people who embody what it means to be absolute champions. So prepare yourself as we dive in and meet some amazing individuals who have inspired, stood up for change and say, I am here. This week, we have a very special edition of the podcast. I headed to Manchester armed with a microphone and a statement belt ready to spend time with one of my favourite people ever. It was even more special to be in the city she calls home and of course, any excuse to hit Canal Street. However, that's a story for another day. She is one of a kind and could write a textbook on how to follow your dreams when life has dealt you a less than fair hand. Through sharing her life stories with comedy, she has dismantled labels and shaken stereotypes one slur at a time. From working class roots in Bolton, Greater Manchester, her strong character has guided her through the most turbulent of upbringings and parked her right in the award winner circles. Fresh from a BAFTA win, I give you the wonderful, the joyous Sophie Willen. So congratulations, it's been how many days? Four or five days since you won a BAFTA. What, you won the BAFTA, I would yeah. say. Yeah, it was Sunday I won the BAFTA. So you won the female performance in a comedy programme, which is actually the most desired, I think, one to win. You were up against incredible people, Ashley yeah. B. Rose Matafeo. Her. Amy Lou Wood. From Sex Education. And Jana, she's fantastic from uh, We Are Lady Parts. Incredible women. And you won it. So how has the last week been? What happens when you win a BAFTA? Well, you go catatonically mad when you win, because I wasn't <laughs> expecting it at all. So I dashed up to the stage. You know, I'm quite pleased because we'd all been sat there for three hours. Right. So I think I sped things up, because everyone else had taken so long to get to the stage. I think everyone was quite grateful with the speed that I took to get to the, to the stage, hyperventilated, yeah. did a weird speech that actually did all right, that speech, but it wasn't a planned speech. It was so. a great speech. Yeah, it's a lot of swearing, though. But they had to edit it out. I don't know if you know, it looked like I'd sort of had an episode. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then what happens in the days after? What I always find fascinating, that you're walking around with this giant brass... Oh. Mask. Where do you put that? Where does it go? How do you get that back to Well, I Manchester? took her for lunch. She's called Julie. Um, <laughs> and I took her for a, a liquid lunch. And from there, we both decided we didn't want to go home. She got sloshed. She was like that. <laughs> <laughs> One eye shut, you know. And then we thought, let's go out. So we went out. Lovely. Yeah, I did a three-day stint, which is why I've lost my voice. Perfect for a podcast. It's worth it, yeah. So I know people always say it's not about the awards. But it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Does it validate you? It's great to be recognised by institutions that don't feel like they're for you. So I want to talk about success, actually, because you just touched on it. Institutions like yeah. that, that can be deemed quite stuffy or archaic, dare mm. I say it. They often don't reward people like you or I. Mm. And yet here you are with two BAFTAs. Yeah. So... Do you feel fucking successful? I do because it feels like a bigger win because actually to even get to a point where you're recognised by them with your language and, and your attitude problem, it's quite nice to be seen as an artist in your own right in the way that people who, you know, perhaps are usually recognised by those organisations. So it does feel more of a win to even be there. 
Yeah. And what I realised is how nonsense it is about when you actually get the win, without sounding, you know, oh, you're in it, you know, oh, we're all winners. But I really believe that it's the nomination that is the actual thing that counts. When you get the win, you're in a route that's six people who judge you. We're all in the industry, so who knows, you know. So actually, that's the bit that doesn't mean anything, I don't think. It's, it's, it is the nomination. But then it's not fucking bad getting a win, is it? You know? <laughs> and it's nice to have something shiny in your handbag, right? It's gorgeous, yeah. So Heavy, you, though. You've spoken quite openly about your childhood and that there was a lot of chaos and trauma. Mm. So... What would that little girl think now when you're on the train back up to Manchester with a BAFTA in your bag? I think she'd go, yeah, that's exactly what we should be doing. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I found the arts, you know, I was very lucky. Like I said in the speech, the BAFTAs, you know, me and Grandma went to Ibiza and I was at the Hotel Drama Club and it was my first experience of being on stage. I played the crying clown, which felt really fitting. There was this gorgeous girl, she was really beautiful, and she played the ballerina, I played the clown clown. And I did this performance, I had to go on stage and, and just cry, you know. And, and, and this man jumped up and he was applauding. Grandma went, you're incredible, you know. And then the next day they had to cast Snow White. Now I had wispy uh, blonde bob. I'd had a lot of stress as a child, so I had alopecia. I actually had ball patched on my head. Um, and I had a lot of eczema and there was a lot of anxiety, stress-related stuff. But I was a very charismatic kid, I think, you know. And then there was this very beautiful girl who was definitely Snow White. But they went, you know what, fuck it, you can be Snow White. <laughs> and they cast me as Snow White. And I was fantastic. <laughs> in, in fact, they won't translate in the, in the podcast, but I'm just going to show you how you faint when you eat an apple. Um, <laughs> you do this. Oh, yeah, show us. You get the apple and then you kind of, you, you, you let your leg go and you just go, <laughs> that was the beginning for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has anybody got an apple? We could do that all night. So two words, Denise Willen. You mentioned Denise. her a lot. Um, and obviously your grandmother was such a significant person in your life, not only for being such a huge part in your life as when you were a child looking after you, but also for introducing you to some amazing performers like uh, Victoria Wood and Julie Waters. Yeah. What was it about those women that, that just grabbed you and that spoke to you creatively and professionally? I think Grandma was really passionate, again, about working class, not just women, people. She was obsessed with Billy Connolly. So I watched all of Billy Connolly's stand-up and then when he did that film with Judy Dench, who I adore, because I remember being a kid and just thinking, this woman has such a sexual energy. I mean, she just, she always has, hasn't she? She's yep. just really charismatic, really sexy, really talented. And I thought, I could be that when I'm old, you know? And Billy Connolly, to watch him go from stand-up to film, you know, was incredible. Victoria Wood, you know, it was the same. You know, she was just, when she was in Housewife 39, or was it 49? Either one. She was incredible drama actor, Brenda Blethyn, we, we used oh, to watch I love her. Yeah. Love her so much. God. Secrets and Lies. I remember me and my yeah. grandma watching Secrets and Lies. That speech where she, she burst into tears because she realised she might have been raped at the, the, in that cafe. You know, it's just incredible. You know, the comedy and the drama that was just instilled in me. The full Monty, we loved that. And Shirley Valentine, I used to watch on repeat uh, because grandma obviously really connected to Shirley's need for a divorce, you know. Um, <laughs> and John Waters, we used to watch all the John Waters. Her spray I used to have on repeat as a kid. And wow. That's how I learned how to wiggle, which I'll show you later when we go out. So. And your love of drag. 
probably yeah, started there I think as well, that, right? That, yeah, so it was kind of that. And grandma was very drag. I think that there is a real synergy between those really strong working class yeah. women and drag queens. Well, I, I think what happened for me when I moved to Manchester is actually it was the gay scene, it was gay men particularly, artistic, creative gay men who saw me as iconic, who saw my grandma's iconic, who saw a talent and a creativity that wouldn't be recognised otherwise. You'd be seen as a bit thick or a bit bubbly. Yeah. You know, but actually, I think the gay men that I knew were like, actually, you, there's something else here. I think gay men do appreciate working class women in a different way yeah. to heterosexual men. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't talk- know if it's a sweeping statement, but I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> and it will stick. I remember when I first met you through our lovely shared friend, Jade Adams. Mm. Yes, for Jade Woo! Adams. And after I'd met you, I said, she really reminds me of Carolina Hearn. Yeah, I love Caroline. Which, again, an amazing working class comedian, but just I felt like somebody that had used a lot of pain and then made yeah. it really funny. And then I, when researching our chat, I later found out that you had you'd been supported by her fund, correct? Yeah, well, it was BBC when she died. The Carolina Hearn bursary was set up. And it was great timing, awful that she'd passed away, you know, not being a knob, but it was kind of weird timing for me because I've gone up to Edinburgh in 2014, I'd done a show um, that I'd packed out every single day, it was a really busy show, Um, the reviews were crap, Uh, one of them said, she's a lot smarter than she first appears. (laughs) Very questionable. I don't know how I appear, but thank you very much. <laughs> um, the second one said distracting amount of cleavage that can be off-putting oh. at close range. I did not motorboat a single member of the audience. <laughs> I should have done, but I didn't. There was a real lack of understanding of women that were from working-class or regional backgrounds. And then, unfortunately, Caroline died and, and Victoria died. But all of a sudden, people went, oh, God, yeah, we remember. Working-class women are intelligent. Oh, we need another one. And I was able to kind of be around at that time when I was ready. So thank you, Caroline. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, we, we're going to talk about Alma's Not Normal. <laughs> the best show on television ever. Woo! This coming back for a second series. Yes. <laughs> yes. Got to write. Exactly. You're the writer. You're the creator. You are it. What I adore about the programme, though, is just such a great piece of working class storytelling. I mean, you've touched on it a bit, but what's so important to you about telling those stories that often don't get seen on television? I think particularly with my mum being an addict and having mental health issues, you know, through the Cameron era, I saw her be completely dehumanised in society. I just saw all the time, you know, the representation of the welfare recipients, all the benefits and the, the social care got cut. And I felt my mum was someone who was being completely dehumanised. I think I really wanted to start there with reminding people that these are human beings. My mum is a human who is funny and vulnerable and a knobhead and a good person. And she's all a multifaceted person. So it started there and started with stand-up. I got my records back from social services when I was 23. And as I was writing all this stuff, doing a stand-up show, and actually then that became the anchor of a stand-up comedy show where I used my records to kind of anchor a political point and about reclaiming the negative representation around people that were from backgrounds like mine, I suppose. So that felt really important. And also the optimism gets lost. Whenever you hear about someone who's been in care or someone like my mum, it's always so depressing, you know. When you look at the themes surrounding Alma, you've got, you know, addiction, care, mental health, sex work 
class, generational poverty, welfare, feminism, they're heavy themes, and yet somehow you make them feel light. Because they're light for us anyway, aren't they, when we live them? Because everyone makes them sound really depressing, don't they? You know, you see them in the Daily Mail, it's... But actually, when you live it, it's hilarious. I mean, not always. I mean, it's (laughs) terrible in lots of ways, but there's a lot of humour there. I mean, my mum did come round to the house and nip my bicycle when I was eight years old because she was running away from the police and as devastated as I was about my bicycle, I mean, she looked like an idiot. (laughs) And it was funny, you know. There's humour and love amid all the chaos, I think, that gets lost when it's the only narrative is is feeded to us by the Daily Mail. But how do you get to that point? Because when there's trauma and pain in your life, so few people can take that and use it as a vehicle for their success. So how can you take that and then get to the place where you're winning BAFTAs. I do think it's all about love, without being, you know, too John Lennon about it, but I do, I do think love is at the root of it all. So love and anger are really powerful emotions. They're really powerful when you write comedy. If you've got love and anger, you don't have bitterness, you've got just a really, you know, Yoko Ono, bless you for your anger, it's a sign of rising energy. The need for change in your field and finding your way of doing it, I think is, is what kind of fuels me, really. I want to talk about the legacy of you. Do you ever think about that? Because I think when you start being awarded, when you've got a piece of your work that's now out in the world that will be there forever, do you ever think about the legacy of it and how that will impact on young versions of you? Well, what I'm very excited about about that is the mental health institutes. I remember having a row with uh, one of my mum's support workers because he had no empathy and just saying, where is the empathy? How are you not taught empathy? If you can't have it, how are you not taught it? How is, we've got a system here that doesn't teach you to see these people as people and their families as people. And then what I've found out since is they're actually now teaching in uh, mental health support systems and organisations that work with mental health. They're showing it all over the country. One of the head NHS leaders in the mental health area is showing Alma's not normal. Wow. And it's changing the game. So that I feel very proud of. That feels like a legacy that can't be undone and and is more important really than, than a BAFTA and mincing around and, you know, being fabulous on a red carpet. I think it's... Uh, because I was fabulous on a red carpet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were. I mean, above that as well, can we talk about you growing up in care? Because obviously that's played out in the work that you do. I feel like you're working to change the narrative on that and shining light on it. And how do you want to change the way that it's seen as an institution? I think the main thing, which I'm, I've been really excited with just to watch, you know, outside of my own work, but in general over the past few years, that the term curlever is now a hashtag, which actually means it's been politicised, which means that it's no longer the individual that has the problem that they have to deal with. It's become part of a movement. I set up a charity organisation in 2015 called Stories of Curl, which was all about seeing curlevers and seeing them as the fabulous individuals that they are and actually recognising what their needs are and their need for support. Because all the, the funding got cut under Cameron, so I was able to get a curlever's bursary to go to university, and all of those fundings got axed with Cameron. And I think, for me, I just wanted to see a time where actually we were recognising curlevers as a, as a person in society that were being marginalised and not well-represented. And I feel Alma's been part of that, 
you know, the charity I'm working on is part of that. And also there's just been a mass surge in it, you know, Lem's sister, Ashley John Baptiste. You're seeing real movements of really powerful curlies. One of the stars of Top Boy, uh, she was brought up in Curl and she speaks openly about it. You know, so I think there's there's a movement towards change for curl leavers. I, I think, think it's, it's really a, important. You know? It's about passing on your lived experience as well and not yeah. feeling a level of shame. There's no point of living things and achieving things and doing anything if you sort of sit there quietly. Only change can happen if you push Absolutely. it forward and give it to others and share your story, right? And shame's key. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't speak about being in curve for years. You know, I thought, oh, that's something I need to hide as an actress. I mean, no one will think I'm valid if, if they know I've had a really weird background. And then I saw Lem Sisse perform and he was just talking about it all. And I thought, oh, God, we can do that. And we're not going to be undermined or undervalued as artists. We actually can, can talk about it openly. You know, I think it's really important, that, isn't it? And it's very freeing, too, yeah. I think. It takes a lot of the load off. Yeah. So what I'm now going to do is put you all on the spot and say, do you have any questions for the wonderful Sophie Willen? So Lewis would like to know what is next for Sophie Willen. I think what I'd like to do, I'd like to do some really interesting acting work outside of Alma, which obviously is a kind of alter ego slash version of me, I suppose. And then I'd like to keep writing. And I, I do have an idea to do a not normal sort of series where I find other not normals. I've found a few. There's a self-proclaimed fat, asexual, fabulous boy who lives in Glasgow on a council estate with his mum, who's just incredible. He's an amazing social media star. We've been talking a lot. I'd love to develop something with, with him. And just other not normals who've got completely different experiences that I feel are not seen on telly. I'd love to exact something like that and maybe direct something like that. And I'm also, with my charity that I've got, I'm, I'm looking at doing a, a comedy umbrella. So rather than just doing children's literature and theatre stuff, we'll do comedy and developing comedy and then maybe taking it to a production company or, or partnering with a production company and, and making stuff that way. And then also finding stories that need to be told. There was somebody who came to me recently who... I've been in the media for quite a long time and she'd been you know, through quite a lot, me too and there was a real class gaslighting stuff and actually stuff that ties into my experience but isn't exactly my experience. You know, so it doesn't always have to come from me and go, oh, let's dig up another bit of trauma. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> See if we can make it funny. You know? Amazing. Yeah. Anybody else? What's your name at the back? Julia. Julia Fresh from The Hike. She's been hiking today. Um, Julia wants to know, are you going to abandon your northern roots and flee to London like all the other creatives? Well, I've already been in London and I've bobbed back. So even if I go down, I might bob back again. I think I'd like to live in both. I mean, I'm hoping I'll end up being a millionaire and I'll have a house in both, you know what I mean? And why not one in San Francisco and New York? I mean, I'm thinking big here, you know. I see myself as an international, you know. Caravan in Weymouth, the whole shebang. Bolton to the world. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly. What we will do is we will wrap this up and then we'll have drinks, have a lovely time and celebrate this amazing woman, Sophie Willem. And thank you so much for coming. Good night. Brilliant.